Hey, so can we start with this uh, idea you told me a couple years ago that people don't think I'm real? <laughs> no one can write that. <laughs> that must be a bunch of people. Both of my parents were English professors, so kind of run in the family. <laughs> and I'm always listening to music, so the music plays in the background until I find something in the foreground that interests me, and then I say, wow, this, this is going to be worth reviewing. Now, I can't put this one away until I write about it and tell people about it. I think that's pretty much what it was like in school, too. When, when we were kids, I mean, you hear a song, it's in the background until it really hits you. And then you want to tell your friends about it. You say, hey, you got to hear this song. You know, in the old days, we'd have each other over and play the record for each other. And now today, all we got to do is put it on our phone and play it for our friends. But it's the same principle. Absolutely. And there's so much music out there and so much of it is good. I wish we could do even more. But uh, it's just astounding how much creativity is out there. And for me, it's a constant counterbalance to all the negative stuff going on in the world. Yes, but we're still creating things. We're still making good things. And it's the perfect time to focus on that and to say, no, you know, we're not going downhill. We're going uphill in this category. So let that be a, a counterbalance to everything else you're thinking. I can't be on the record saying anything. What's that sound? Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? The proposition sounds intriguing. The proposition sounds very attractive. I tell you, it's a thoroughly sound proposition. Seems a sound proposition. What brought you here? The sound is the protagonist. Richard Allen. I'm one of the co-founders of A Closer Listen, and it is a joy to be here on Joseph's podcast. Uh, I'm Gabriel Bogart, go by Gabe, uh, sometimes Reverend Gabelicious, or uh, Lord Batcat, or Gaby Wan Kenobi, um, a, a contributor to A Closer Listen, and previously Silent Ballet. Living in Seattle, Washington. But yeah, you know, figured we'd just have a chat and see where it goes. Yeah, right on. So I told, I, I kind of told you what I was doing, right? Yeah, a little bit, but you know, uh, kind of, is this kind of archival for, I guess, just tell me again. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, when I started writing my dissertation, like seriously, I decided I couldn't really contribute to ACL anymore because it was like my attention was too divided to have like these writing projects that don't pay anything and right my you know so but I decided to start a, the podcast because I thought at least I can procrastinate and I have a different workflow so audio format you know <laughs> and uh, and some of the interviews I was doing for my dissertation like with Alvin Curran with with uh, with Bruno Stuckey who runs the Dechacto label. I thought I wanted to talk to them anyway for my dissertation, so I thought I'll package package it up and do a thing. So I don't know if you've heard the the show, but it's like um, there's always music, you know, and I just layer the vocal the interviews over it. So it has okay. a different. It's not like a, everything's really edited, you know. I mm -hmm. never just like let let shit ride. 
I'm not even in it. Like you almost never hear my voice. And uh, anyway, so now that I'm finishing the dissertation, I'm trying to like uh, wrap this up. And I had a whole bunch of, like a year ago, I started interviewing everybody at ACL, Rich, Jeremy, not everybody, but you know, uh, Sam, David. You just, you know, the people who are still involved. And then I started going back, I talked to Nate and, um, but yeah, you know, it was our 10th anniversary in 2022. So mm-hmm. I wanted to do it for that, but then I just kept talking to more and more people and then it became daunting to edit. So it's just going to be this kind of, now it's our 11th anniversary, you know, capstone. I think one of the things we do on the site is we sort through it all when you're looking at how much is coming in, you know, topping out at about 140 albums a week. So 20 albums a day. And, you know, people say, well, who's got time to listen to all that? Uh, and yet <laughs> there's a staff. I mean, we listen to parts of things. We listen to enough of things to know some are really worth paying attention to. And it's kind of like that old dilemma with the jam jars. You probably heard about that where they set up two booths and one booth had three types of jam and the other one had about 20 types of jam and people bought more from the booth with three. Uh, now, I'm the outlier. I would love to have 20 choices of jam, but most people want three. So, you know, people don't want to hear, here's 140 albums. They want to hear, well, what did you choose? What are the curated pieces of music that you think we should be paying attention to? Um, and, you know, fortunately, we have that other page, the upcoming releases page. And every single thing that comes in that isn't out yet, if it's got a SoundCloud or Bandcamp link, it goes there. So the really adventurous listener who wants to hear everything, no matter what, even if we haven't reviewed it, they have at least one one page that they can go to hear it. Actually, a good thing to mention that we have viewers um, who think that we come from one country when we're actually from multiple countries. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Jeremy. I. Uh, was one of the co-founders of uh, Close to Listen. I'm assuming that we've uh, the, the breakaway from Asylum Ballet has been discussed in other by Rich already, has it? Yeah, I, I think because um, I, I uh, maybe hold, hold stuff a little bit digitally, hold stuff certainly. Um, I found the email <laughs> list. Um, uh, when Rich was talking about the 10th anniversary, uh, and basically, I think there's there's one email where Rich says, um, "I've had a look on WordPress, and it's dead easy to do a website, so I'm going to do a website, and that's it." And uh, and and then it was like, a, a, you know, do you want to join? Do you want to join up? And and that and that was it. So I think we all we all left the old site pretty much on the same day, and uh, and it all started on the new site at the same time as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, that was basically, I think we were a bit unhappy with the direction that the old site had been going. And so we wanted to try something new. So we just put in some new little things to change it, you know, not scoring uh, reviews, not uh, not dissing uh, reviews, you know, which, which, I, which I'd been guilty of on occasion, just, just laying into the occasional record. Um, 
uh, just uh, you know keeping things pleasant. And uh, we got rid of uh, the forum as well, which was um, and uh, I think that was probably a good move. We don't have many comments. Most of them are positive nowadays, but I think forums are just now certainly nowadays they're just uh, they'd be a nightmare to look after. Yeah, no, it's a weird it's a weird thing that the uh, this kind of our move to virtual culture has made us quite distant in some ways, but in other ways you get to meet people that you never <laughs> you never previously met. Yeah. So hi, I'm Sam Rogers. Uh, and yeah, my, and my day job, I'm a senior lecturer in English literature uh, at the University of the West of England in Bristol, UK. Um, and in my outside my day job, uh, my main hobby is listening to music. And I guess I found a kind of middle ground in writing about music, which uses some of my skills in writing and some of my skills in being a music nerd and puts them together. Um, I think the, I must have, somebody must have recommended ACL to me from an online forum or, or yeah, probably from an online forum where we were talking about ambient music. Um, and I guess there's a, there is a, a general lack out there of informative reviews for people who actually just like reading about the music, not just, you know, a simple, do I want to hear this or not? And I think reviews can be useful just for filtering. You know, there are so many new releases in every genre that reviews can just help you to filter. Do I want to hear this or not? But I think there's an, there's another market which ACL fills, which is people who actually want to kind of read and think more about the about the piece of music um, for whatever need that is in our heads that, <laughs> that that fulfills. So I think somebody recommended it to me and I started visiting as a way of keeping up to date with these genres. Um, or with a couple of the genres, um, with the exception of post-rock really, which is the only genre on the site that I'm not remotely interested in. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess I started visiting just keeping up to date and reading about these, you know, about the, and admiring the, the reviewing style. You know, obviously I think I'm going to assume that pretty much anybody who's going to write about music without being paid uh, is also the person who will always want to talk about music in a social setting. You know, like, I mean, I worked in record stores for 11 years. Uh, what is this, uh, chronological? You know, you, you nerd out about this stuff, right? Not alphabetical. Nope. Autobiographical. It's a passion. Um, and one of the things I was thinking about is that uh, maybe maybe um, aside from the two that I cherry picked in the last year and a half, but you know, when you're uh, assigned something, um, but you know, particularly when it, like uh, when the setup was kind of more uh, you're being assigned something, um, you it, at least for me, it makes me listen to and think about music differently. Um, I mean, you know, from how I write reviews, of course, I'm always putting my personal tone or color into it uh, because it's just how I think you communicate about 
art in general, but music specifically. Uh, but that it made me think differently and listen differently because what am I, of course, because we're not Pitchfork or Rolling Stone or anything like that. We're not selling these albums for these people. I mean, yeah, you are in a sense just because it gets out there and people read it and they're like, oh, okay, you know, and they go to their band camp or whatever and buy the album or maybe not. Maybe they just stream it. But you are giving the artist exposure, but it's also like, how do I, how do I communicate my personal engagement with the music, but not just make it be kind of that one, one-to-one -one engagement, like not just me, the individual, but like, how do I communicate, you know, this album made me feel this way. And, you know, of course, then you do allegories like, well, if you like this, you might like this. And, um, but to, I mean, again, I, as a music nerd, as music nerds, of course, we're gonna dig into it. Um, but you kind of dig into it in a different way. I don't know if that, if I'm making enough sense or not, but. But what I think is good might not be good, but I like it. It's the old, uh, there's an Apple Jacks commercial, a cereal. Now, why do you like it? We just do. <laughs> so when it comes down to, yeah, we have that luxury of choosing what we want to review. But at the end of the year, we operate as a team and we say, look, everybody's going to vote. Everybody's going to hear each other's nominations. And we're going to we're going to see if we can reach some sort of consensus. And uh, it's been it's been a really neat thing to watch because it calls attention to some things maybe we weren't paying so much attention to earlier. And we also get to find out, as you and I have found out, you know, sometimes our favorite album of the year nobody else likes. And yet we can say to an artist in a review, this is my favorite album. Because music and its appreciation can be so subjective. Uh, I would think most musicians would be so happy to hear that they resonated particularly well, even with one listener on the other side of the world. I remember when uh, Richard approached me about uh, joining him doing a new venture, a new website, his main motivation was to break the ranks of uh, having to really score, like give a, give a score to music. That always bothered him. So I, and I was in league with, with that philosophy because I, I mean, it's so arbitrary. Like I could feel, I feel like I could score something differently like the next day just because of how I'm feeling. So uh, he wanted to buck the, uh, the need for that kind of academic ass assessment and really just give writers the freedom to express what they, what they feel and think about a piece of music and, you know, really sink their teeth into something and come up with a, uh, assessment that's more true to the person who's reacting and not necessarily trying to adhere to a convention, right? So that's that's very appealing for, um, yeah, just opening up your, uh, your options for what you can say about music. I'm Nate Kane, and I was and still am part of the Closer Listen community. I was a writer for 
five or six years when the site began and wrote a number of reviews. And I worked with Richard Allen and several of the other writers at a previous website. And uh, for the time when I was able to devote uh, a lot, a lot more energy to writing about music, and uh, it was a pretty great time. It has influenced my entire life and view on how music can be produced and created and and listened to. So, uh, I am a, I'm a big fan, and yeah, a veteran. And of course, I mean, he also. Being Mr. Positive, <laughs> always, Richard will, you know, doesn't want to badmouth anybody. Like, there's really no no need. Like, that that particular kind of criticism uh, was not really welcome on the website. And I know that that differentiates from, uh, you know, kind of the status quo for what critique uh, has to be made of. So I think that's what, that's kind of the, the bare bones of what makes a closer listen different than a lot of other websites. And I think the kind of music that a closer listen is, you know, is associating with, there's a lot of nice people, <laughs> a lot of human beings who are not out looking. And this is true for a lot of websites that cover this kind of music, but the kind of people that we are, uh, you know, whose art we are reviewing and and speaking about, there are generally people who are devoted to something that is off the beaten path. And uh, I think that's what writers and listeners of this kind of music are attracted to in the first place. So we're not really critiquing, right? In the same way that a mainstream critical site would or a critical outlet would be doing. And that, that just fits the, the genres of, of art that we're working with. They, have, they go together. I, I, you know what? The only time I've ever liked a rating system really was the source. Because mm. like, every rapper out there always was like, man, I want to get five mics, bro. You know, and like, it's fun and it's kind of cheeky. But, but, and it also, I think it's self-conscious of that it's subjective. Uh, but other than that, I think, yeah, I think scoring is kind of stupid because it's like, I could just be, I'm going ape shit right now over Antonina, uh, what's her name? She's a Polish vocalist, uh, Antonina Novaka. And like, I'm going crazy for this. You know, if I were scoring it, maybe I would go like 9.5 out of 10, but there's all sorts of people would be like, eh. And, right. and, and I think taking that part out is great because then you're just talking about engaging with the music instead of, you know, this is some masterpiece. You know, I hate talking about, I mean, it's valid in some senses, but it, it's also, I think there's a lot of hyperbole that music journalists in general can get into with, you know, this was the greatest record of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, nah, cut it out. 
you know. Yeah. It becomes too much like a kind of accounting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's like, well, what? No, seriously, let's talk about how you engaged with this piece of art. Right. Yeah, and Pitchfork still does the scores, and not, you know, they're gonna, they will. <laughs> it's what, it's what makes them what they are. It's what you know, that's their, their, their tissue and skin and bones, and but at a closer listen and other sites that the kind of don't that don't do that we've got textura we've got fluid audio we have um, echoes and dust stationary travels um, there's some really good sites out there and i think we should just support each other because everybody's got a piece of the puzzle we can't cover anything alone do a better job together headphone commute still going like you you can go to a uh, a website like if you purchase something online and you can read reviews uh, there's tons of fake reviews and people can give it a score or give it like uh, praise or something and uh, it's really just boosting their own it's, it's a total lie so you really have to read what people are saying if you go to a website and you're just looking for the score or just like the quick capsule review uh, you know you're you're getting what you pay for <laughs> if your attention is if your attention's two seconds then you're not going to know much. So yeah, I think when you do give, you know, and reviews are meant to be, you know, even on Pitchfork, as with a closer listen, you're gonna get a review that is worded. I mean, they have great writers. They know how to they know how to how to write very well. So that's enjoyable. And but you know, you're not gonna get an album by Richard Skelton on Pitchfork. <laughs> or know how it compares to previous work. So there's got to be an outlet for that. And the freedom that the writers have at ACL is uh, what gives them, what keeps the verve alive for writing about it. I think, it, you know, people will burn out when you are in that score mentality and assessing things from that uh, very, very much capitalistic, systematic, you know, public school to rat race mentality that defines our culture. Uh, this kind of music is totally uh, a love letter to the outside of, of, of that. And that's why we love it. And it's why people, when they stumble across it, uh, yeah, I think they stick with it, right? It's, it's totally like, like a cult, more of a cult following. And those, those are listeners for life, lifelong learners and listeners. Do you remember when we, we started and how I said, uh, all right, well, we've got a website and you have to find it online. <laughs> and I didn't give any clues and everybody managed to find it. That's some determination. There were no clues and if you knew how to Google things, you could locate what was already there and we were off. I'm the <laughs> we are the gatekeepers but you, you know you bring up a good point people don't necessarily notice this um, I think they appreciate it without recognizing we don't have advertisements we don't have pop-ups and we don't get paid we do this because we love music and everybody's got a story um, for me it's pretty simple I'm paying back for all of the things that musicians, artists, labels have done for me and 
it's not an uh, it's not an unusual story to say that music kept me alive and hopeful through my teenage years, early 20s, when I was just trying to find myself. I uh, just put a, a record on or later a CD on or later a digital copy and and soothes the soul, gives you encouragement, uh, tells you there's something good in life. So I feel like all we're doing is paying back. I just think, you know, because I think back to like particularly you and Rich, and I think I do this, but I'm trying to give flowers to other people is that, you know, and it, 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 what I recall from reading your reviews in particular is, you know, as an academic, you'll, also, you'll often bring in kind of parallels from other art forms or discourse, you know, and, and I know a lot of people can maybe read that and go, oh, that's kind of snooty or whatever. And like, but no, I mean, we're, that, that's what I really like about ACL is that the, the intellectual side to it is not, um, it's not pedantic. Yeah, I hope not. Uh, yeah, well, I, I have a, I have a propensity to be pedantic sometimes. So I have yeah, well, some, sometimes, I mean, I am a professor. Sometimes it's necessary, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but, oh, yeah. Um, but I think Rich helped us set a tone of, like, not being negative, you know. And, and also just, like, sharing shit that we like. It's like, we're never, like, putting something up and roasting it. It's always like, this is stuff that I think is cool and I want other people to know about, right? Yeah. And I think that was that that was one of the struggles for me sometimes with like the assignment style was and of course y'all were open to you know hey if you really don't like it then hand it off to somebody else or it just won't get reviewed or whatever um and that goes back to what you're saying about being open is um it's like well you have to give something a chance you have to try it you know, like you've never had raw oysters before. Just give it a try. Yeah, maybe you're not going to like it for some reason. You know, ad nauseum, so many examples, right? But, um, and it's okay to not like something and just say, I I'm sorry, I don't think I can give this a positive review or it's just not my style. But that it still encourages in that being open, um, and this is, I, I think about this a lot, and I'm sorry, I'm tangenting a lot, but uh, it's kind of that thing where I'm sure you've read articles about how most people stop exploring new music. This is particularly about music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop exploring new music somewhere between the age of 18 and 30. Yeah. And, and to be judgy, I don't care, but I think it's really sad if you're... Yeah. 40 and you're like I don't listen to any new music it's like what I mean there's always and it doesn't even have to be new music it could be like oh I didn't realize this whole period of baroque music actually speaks to me um, so yeah having that style where you're assigned things does help you keep you know stay open uh, so that yeah. that was it, that was cool in a way, but there are times where I was just like, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we have touched on it slightly, but I think it's that, um, 
you know, it's that process of generating, generating a kind of dialogue really with the music and with the reader. So yeah, it's, it's, it's where that space where I guess reviews cross over from being just recommendations. Um, you know, this is good. You should check it out. Really, um, that can almost be fulfilled nowadays by you know an algorithm <laughs> to some extent. So I think having this kind of dialogue that the that you're actually re you're actually listening to something and then generating a discussion around it uh, and a discussion with what you're listening to, that was what always attracted me. Um, and then that's really what, you know, as a reviewer, I then, I then started to do just making notes as I'm listening to something. And then you, you're just kind of in conversation almost with what you're listening to. Um, and I guess that's the name always made sense to me as well. You know, a closer listen it felt like that, you know, I'm sure all reviewers, except, you know, those who aren't even worth their soul are listening closely to what they're reviewing. But it felt like this kind of more reflective, you know, that you listen to something you're really listening to what it's trying to say and then you're generating a discussion with it. Yeah, it also made sense for me because, you know, my, as I said, my day job is um, literature, you know, reading literature, teaching literature, studying literature. And so the idea of close reading to me is just a kind of bread and butter thing, um, you know, looking at a text, closely analyzing the text and kind of, and, and I ju it just felt to me like a similar kind of process, but the text is music instead of literature. So I've been pretty proud of the um, some of the important things about our site that are a little bit different from others. There's a lot of music sites, but we do raise field recordings to the same level as all the other genres. Um, this week, and this means that our listeners and, and viewers will already know this by the time that it's published, but the winter music um, spotlight with the top 40 winter albums of all time that we make a distinction between winter music and albums that come out in winter. And I was thinking the other day, we also have what we might call websites within websites because we have your podcast series. Sound Proposition. We have David and Chris's video game soundtrack series. The, the Press A guys. And it's almost like we're giving a home to all of these extra wonderful places in music that might not be able to sustain their own websites. And you've had your column periodically electronic observations. Yeah. I think, did I do it for a year or two years? It was basically because we were getting a lot of the electronic submissions. And I was, I was trying to get, you know, as many through as many as possible. <laughs> so I, I'm probably going to return to a sort of electronic observations, but it's going to be singular reviews rather than doing the the on mass uh you know seven or eight in one go sweet which i which i did quite enjoy but it's um i think it's probably better to let individual albums breathe rather than just wait you know throwing a lot of eps in together because they don't necessarily get the, the space that they deserve whereas you can you know do a proper album review give it a little bit more coverage well, I've really, I've really enjoyed the uh, the mix series that you've you've been doing. Um, yeah, I, I, I think they only you've uncovered some really. Uh, I mean, people I haven't heard of have, have been, you know, 
providing incredibly insightful interviews and uh, the mixes that they've been doing as well have been you know top notch and i think that's that's possibly something we haven't pushed enough into the into the wider world i think um and 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 the 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 uh, the press a uh, the the music you know the video game soundtracks are, are, are fascinating yeah, I was, I was trying to remember when we first did it. Um, and David did it before I did. And then I just sort of glommed onto his idea and he was happy to have me on board. <laughs> yeah, because it was kind of like a personal thing that I said like, yeah, hey, Rich, I asked Rich like, hey, can I do a video game list? And he was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And then Chris gave me the idea of, of like doing something a little bit more, um, a little bit bigger, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so that was really cool, yeah. I'm Chris Redfern Murray, and I joined the site. Uh, I guess I joined the staff in, I think it was 2013. So I guess you guys were two, maybe three years old at that point. Um, I, uh, I heard about it. Um, I caught wind of it when we were sending out press backs for our um, the band I was in at the time called Subzar. And that's when I sort of discovered it. I hadn't, hadn't heard of it before then. And, uh, you know, Rich was delightful in emails and so on. Uh, so that's when I. Uh, I actually asked if I could join kind of there and then really and he said there's no room <laughs> there's no room at the end so then he came back to me a few months later and said hey do you want to join so that was that was how I started got on board and uh, I live in uh, near outside London in England uh, yeah well I'm David Murreta Flores uh, I'm from Mexico City I live here in Mexico City um, and yeah I started with uh, a close release and I think it was um, maybe around when it started uh, a couple months maybe or something like that after after you guys founded it i joined uh, i was part of the silent ballet with with joe and uh, richard uh, uh, jeremy as well and, and yeah i sort, sort of like, like a crossover cross. after you guys uh, founded the site and so yeah i've been i've been with the site for the 10 years i think basically and it's been really great i uh, i enjoy doing this a lot and I enjoy all, all kinds of music, and actually, one of the one of the things that got me into the video game soundtrack thing. I, I, of course, I've I've been playing games for a very long while now, but um, and I've been interested, and I've liked a lot of soundtracks from that. But uh, when when Richard started doing his film score uh, lists, that sort of like gave me the idea. I was like, ah, that would be it. Would be cool to do something with video games as well. Um, so, so, so that's how I asked uh, Rich in the end, like, hey, uh, I want to do something like the film score list that you do. I would like to do something, but for video games, since since they're readily well, at at that time they were not as available as they are now, but they were starting to become more available because it was it was hard. It's it's still a bit. Uh, we've discussed with this uh, Chris and I and. Uh, how sometimes uh, uh, many video game uh, soundtracks are hard to to acquire. They're hard to get. Uh, they're not very av readily available always. Le but, legally, certainly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, legally at least. Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, so it's also been good that that uh, Aspresse has grow has been growing, and also the the availability of of video game soundtracks has also been uh, growing. So that's been that's been pretty good. It's been a while now and but I would like to do more for the website, but I don't have that much time anymore. So I've cut back on, on how many reviews I write uh, uh, per month, but I'm still here. <laughs> uh, 
Um, well, I've been uh, playing games since I was uh, a little boy, uh, on and off. You know, I went through, I think, like everyone, you go through phases of these things. When I was at uni, I kind of dipped out a fair bit for a while. Um, apart from Mario Kart, the obligatory Mario Kart stuff ones at like three in the morning. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I got back into them. I, I think it, it just gels with my, my music taste, really. Um, because I was always more into the, you know, through through close to listens, my my time with them, I've always been like the modern composition guy. Like I was always picking up the modern composition stuff, um, quite a lot of the post rock stuff as well, and then like electronic. Those are like my three genres. Um, and um, so when Rich started doing the soundtrack film lists, you know, that, that also piqued my interest as well because I listened to a lot of these soundtracks anyway. Games, I guess, uh, I never liked the soundtrack was a not only a part of the game itself, but could be a discrete thing that you listen to in isolation. Um, and I guess it was around that time, you know, you know, five or so years ago that I started actually enjoying soundtracks, you know, just listening to them uh, separate from the game. Um, and then at that time, when um, you know, David first wrote the first um, what would be now press a you know best of year list. Um, short while after that, there was a game called Zelda Breath of the Wild that came out. Um, Zelda is, you know, one of my fondest uh, game franchises, and the, the soundtrack to that game was just incredible. It just spoke to me on so many levels. And one of the first things I did when I discussed with David me coming on board as a duo was I want to write a long-form article about this soundtrack alone. Um, so that was like the first project that I did, I think, um, for Press A. And um, it's proved to be my most read piece on the site through, through my entire tenure, and I had a great time doing it. And I think you know, David then did a, an in-depth on Sonic and Mario soundtracks and so on. So it was um, it was supposed to be a combination of best of lists, but also these more in-depth pieces. Um, and sadly, the latter has kind of fallen away as we've you know, as we've said, run out of uh, free time. And those are the harder pieces to research and write about, so they've had to take a back seat. But I hope that there'll be time in the future to, to dig into that kind of uh, type of article more as well at some point. When you're playing a game and then the, the soundtrack comes on, it's it, it sort of, um, as with film scores, right? It's, it uh, adds to the experience of playing and, and it creates sort of like an, an aesthetic experience of, of that. But also, when you listen to a video game score uh, aside, uh, if you've played the game, it's sort of you, you get like this uh, memory, like recalling memory of, of, of playing and of that, of that aesthetic experience. Uh, but if you've never played the game, then it's interesting because then you can, you can start imagining how, how, how does this work, right? Because this, this kind of, of music is always put to work, right? For, for something else. It's not like other kinds of music that is just. It, it is for itself, like the, the, the video game music, is, it, it works for something. So, so it's interesting to see, it's been interesting uh, after a few years of doing this and to see how many different composers approach this problem of repetition, right? Of, of making the music engaging enough and, and repetitive enough at the same time, because it has to be repetitive in a way. Uh, and it also has to be unique enough so that you don't get tired of it. So it's interesting because there's been, I think, uh, many solutions in this regard. Um, mostly, for example, the, 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 um, I think that the soundtracks that work very well um, in, that, in that sense are, are mostly ambient soundtracks, electronic soundtracks. But there's, there's this other approach, like a, like, a, like a modern composition approach that 
it sort of does the other the other way it sort of does both at the same time uh, because they um, sort of like for example the the zelda breath of the wild um, uh, soundtrack is a very good example of that in that it sort of turns all of these uh, for example minimalist tropes and I, I think chris can 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 talk about this much more in depth than i can but it takes all of this classical music basically and it turns it into into something that is both um you can listen to it a lot and at the same time if you listen to it by itself it makes sense uh, it has a flow it, ha it has it has it is a whole by itself but you can listen to it a lot without without much uh, problem like you can listen to each piece uh, many times and it, that doesn't deter from or or doesn't uh, diminish the experience of listening to this music so it's interesting because um for example there are many soundtracks that are extremely long um many many of these things many of these soundtracks go like for three four hours it's 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 not rare at all to to have uh, soundtracks that last three to five hours some are even longer than that um once you once you account for for example jingles like menu jingles no that's that's one of the, the things that there are pieces and then there are like menu jingles or or say or the the screen where you save your game has its own music and it's just like a 15 second piece but it is part of the soundtrack and all these things so it's very interesting how how some of these soundtracks go on for many hours and some are very very short but they try to do the same things and they achieve them through different means and that's that's very interesting i think of how uh, the, the kinds of solutions that many composers have uh, offered for for this problem of, of having to be repetitive and having to be unique at the same time yeah. well yeah um, by sort of there's there's this uh, the sonic the hedgehog series uh, i've played that since i was a, a very young child and it's sort of been in my mind for my whole life basically the, the music of that series has been constantly been there <laughs> So always humming it. They always just emerge, don't you? you? Just sort of hum. You find yourself humming things in the day, yes. just when you're doing random tasks. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny because it's a, it's that kind of, of of music. Like doing this this repetitive thing of playing a game, sort of drills that music also into your brain to a degree that you find yourself sometimes like just it, it pops up like a like a song from Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Sometimes they pop up in my head just for random reasons or doing whatever. And I started humming it to myself, so it's it's this kind of music that's been with me like for my whole life. So so yeah, I, I wanted to to write something about that uh, as well, like like Chris said about Zelda. I wanted to write about that kind of music, so that's why I did this also this more in-depth like article about the uh, Sonic uh, and uh, Sonic the Hedgehog and Mario uh, uh, series and um, like comparing their music since. They were they were in the 90s. They were like the the, the basic comparison in terms of video game characters. Uh, so so I, I wanted to write about the the music that both of those characters represented. Uh, so yeah, that's that's also why I wanted to to do uh, in the end like also more more uh, long form articles for for press A. It, it, it came from that as well, like, just like like Chris from Sonic the Hedgehog, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you, you uh, and what I like about um, Press A and also the film, the film score pieces that Rich does is that you do treat it as its own piece. It's like, does this hold up as, a, as an audio experience? We're, we're a music website, you know, that's that's the point. You shouldn't need to 
know the game you shouldn't need to watch the film to get enjoyment from it otherwise why are we kind of recommending it at the end of the day so that's that's what i start from i think that's the most helpful place but then as as david said it's it's a different experience to when you know the game and you're listening to the soundtrack away from it and it's 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 resonating it's it's provoking all these kind of emotional um things um and what i, what I try to do is because we, we we try and cover as much as we can there's only two of us and there are i don't know how many games that are released every year but we try and <laughs> crawl through as much as we can and we look for the the smaller you know the, the kind of indie things may even stuff that comes on like itch.io you know just really tiny little one person developed games we, we try and delve into as many of those as we can and uh, when when you're listening to something like that then you've likely never heard of the game let alone played it so if something kind of resonates and we kind of as we discuss it over the year we think this is this is really good like let's let's listen to this a few more times this might make the list and so on if we've got something that's made the list then i'll probably just go onto youtube and watch a let's play of it and just to see how that audio is being incorporated into the game world because i think it's um what makes it such an interesting area to to look at is that how it's how it's evolved over the years with uh, from the sonic mario 30 second loops and then there's three of them and that's your little act one act two act three and it just repeats endlessly uh, to now we've got incredibly complicated things where you know it's more electronic modern composition like layers of melody and, and texture that kind of get triggered by the player doing certain actions and things and it all feels incredibly organic when you're listening to it but there's a lot of clever you know programming that's going on behind the scenes like how do you extract that player triggered dynamic kind of scoring into a, a standalone discrete audio experience i think that makes it interesting on the one side you get these five hour behemoths but on the other hand i think where, where i get drawn to and that those you know those speak to the completionist like the the, the game the, the enthusiastic gamer like soundtrack guy gal who just wants everything but what i'm more drawn to is the more let's actually treat it like a, a set it is a discrete set let's you know sequence the tracks um, you know, in, 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 a, in a pleasing way, let's you know get a, strip away all of the chaff, all the kind of the stuff that we don't need, um, and let's you know basically kind of re-engineer, re remix everything so that it actually works as a you know a twelve-track kind of set. I think that's kind of that that's where if you've got something like that, and then you go back to the game to to watch how it actually is played in the in, in the in the game itself, then you start to see how they've changed it and how they've remixed it for a, a standalone experience, which is, which is really interesting. Like the uh, soundtrack for everything, we, we ranked that at the top. And everything was a great word for it. It's a triple album that you could listen to again and again. But uh, without having heard the album, I can simply mention um, Super Mario Brothers has a score. I've never heard anyone talk about how much they love listening to the Super Mario Brothers video game score over and over. Because people don't. But everyone can recognize it if they hear it. I mean, one of the interesting things that I've noticed, I think I've mentioned it in one of my blurbs recently, is that a lot of the musicians that we featured at the start of the, uh, when ACL started, you know, they were, you know, really minor producers, writers, uh, creatives, and now, you know, producing their own soundtracks 
for, for, for large scale movies and TV series and stuff like that. And it's, it's, I think we've gone from a stage of having artists, you know, doing imaginary soundtracks and actually doing the soundtracks. <laughs> so um, I think possibly, um, you know, we could look in the future at doing a feature, going back to doing a feature on specifically soundtracks, because I think we've, we've touched on it before. Um, but almost doing a sort of electronic observations for soundtracks instead. Speaking with the Press A guys, we were, obviously we were talking about video game soundtracks and how important the video game industry is as a player that I think often gets, uh, I don't know, understated or ignored by by some folks because it's so pigeonholed as like, you know, a young male demographic or whatever, but that's where the money is, so there's really interesting stuff happening there. And one of the other places where there's still money, right, is uh, in film and TV scoring. I've lost track of how many folks from our world are now, you know, world famous because of their Netflix score or their Oscar-winning score for uh, The Joker, for instance, um, and Dustin O'Halloran and... Uh, and folks like that, right, have kind of, like, that's, and Johan, of course, like, that's, that's, that's where the money comes from. Uh, Likens, uh, Ro Robert Lowe recently did The Candyman. Um, and, yeah, part of that's practical, but part of it is also that it's a, uh, as you say, we have these experiences with instrumental music that, that we're not always um, in the foreground aware of, but, but that f sort of... Um, helps train how we how we listen to instrumental music, you know, the glut of cinematic metaphors and whatever. Um, but so I think more than anyone uh, in in our crew, you review soundtracks quite regularly. That, that brings to mind you know, one of the things that I mentioned a lot is that everyone knows instrumental music without knowing that they know it because they've been listening to it all their lives. They listen to it in movies, television, background of pretty much everywhere um, that they go. Um, it's in the back of audiobooks, And people are just not used to, to hearing it as foreground, but they're much more well-versed in it than we might think. Uh, and a lot of the music that we're hearing now um, started underground, and then it entered into the mainstream and now would not even be considered groundbreaking, whereas it was in 1980, 1990, even 2000. You know, things like uh, you know, when drum and bass first happened, people like, wow, what is, what is this? That's some, that's some weird, fast stuff that is coming over from the other side of the ocean, and that'll never be popular. And now it's in everything. It's, it's um, in so many things that sometimes you can be put on hold and hear drum and bass. <laughs> Some of them aren't traditional soundtracks. They could be for a short movie. They could be a, an audiovisual piece, something that was in an installation. And kind of expanding the idea of what a movie is. Even the Oscars do have a short film category. But sometimes you can get uh, a new soundtrack for a movie that never opened wide. 
or a redone soundtrack to something like Nosferatu or The Gollum, where the live performance can be just as intriguing as the original performance. It does does help to start to compare if there is a new version, um, a soundtrack to a movie that already exists, and one can compare the two and see if one actually changes the appreciation of the film. There is a difference between a really good soundtrack album and really good film score. Because uh, for a soundtrack album to work, you'd want to play it over and over and not skip tracks. So just thinking of uh, an obvious one, um, Halloween, I mean, great soundtrack, great film score. Do you really want to play the album over and over? Probably not. So uh, a score, a film score that can work as a standalone work is, I think, what we pay the most attention to at a closer listen to say, you know what, you've never seen the film. You might never see the film. Um, Does it work in the film? Does it not work in the film? We'll let the visual um, branch of the industry figure that out. But what we want to know is, does it work as an album? And when it does, it's spectacular. You don't have to have the 30 second repeating cues. Well, think of Jaws and what, well, when the shark is there, you're going to hear that theme, except for the one time in the movie where Brody is throwing, I think, cigarette butts and chum overboard, and there's no music to signal that the shark is there. But every other time that the shark is there, you hear the definitive theme. Um, but on the album, that might mean you're hearing that theme over and over and over again, and you just don't want to hear that theme so much. Uh, in a 40-minute span when what you want to do is enjoy a record. So it wasn't created to be a standalone work. Some just happened to be both. And it has one track with, I think what you'd say is the peak of the album, musically, and it doesn't repeat. It builds up to that spot, and that's it. Well, my favorite album of all time actually does fit. It's the, uh, ironically, it's a soundtrack. It's a soundtrack um, Peter Gabriel wrote for The Last Temptation of Christ. And that's just uh, an over and over again sort of album. And one could make the argument that it helped to popularize world music. And he went on and he had the the real world label and it really opened up some doors. And now we look back at him we think oh peter gabriel the genesis we we look more at his mainstream accomplishments but we forget the huge influence he had outside of what we've noticed and continues today also his love for um, getting the other musicians from the other countries and you mentioned jerusalem and my heart and their collaborations and he was doing that sort of thing and really saying look there's different timbres of music that most people have never heard Let's get those out there. There's a beautiful thing in science fiction. It's in everything from a Tom Petty video to Wally, which is post-apocalypse. Somebody finds some music to play. It's on an old hard drive, a record, a cassette. They figure it out. They play it. And I think of that Voyager record that we sent out 
still going. Someone, somewhere, sometime might find it. God bless Carl Sagan. Well, I do have a big love for the physical format. I know you do too. It's a little disconcerting to pull out old CDs and find out that the label didn't burn them as a CD. They burned them as a CDR and now it doesn't play. <laughs> but uh, it's been one of the, uh, I guess, discouraging parts of the pandemic is finding that the record that you want won't be in your hands for another year. One of my true labors of love at A Closer Listen was starting uh, the album cover. Uh, yeah, just the artwork subsection. At the end of the year, we would do, you know, the year end list and rate uh, the best artwork. I think we had like the top 20 and uh, the writers would vote for this. And uh, once we established like what we were looking for, I had to, I contacted every single artist to get uh, information about uh, what and the artists like I and I would compile quotes from from people who both wrote the music and collaborate with the artists and the artists themselves, the visual artists. Uh, and sometimes I would have whole, full conversations between them, and they would be remarking about what the other ones had said from like other conversations that I had documented and like mentioned it to them and like oh yeah and, and sometimes it got really in depth, and I was. Uh, it took a it took a lot of a lot of time to uh, put that together, uh, but it would like you go back and read the first two lists, uh, back the first the first two years that those came out, uh, that was a that was a heavy amount of devotion from, <laughs> from me, and uh, but amazingly some of the artists uh, were so so thrilled that they were even a part of that list. Yeah, it's incredible how often, uh, I mean, I don't get new records very often anymore. I mean, I seriously like maybe one a year at this point for me, uh, just because of life circumstances. But hey, like you look at, like there's a new Godspeed record and I guarantee, even though I don't have it in my hands, that it is chock full of, you know, weird, weird stuff and lots of details that that someone poured a lot of energy into. I know that there's so much amazing art, like pairing artwork, I mean, you can't have the, no album has no picture. There's no albums without an image. So it's you, any album that you really love and you can obtain a physical copy, you're still, you're going to probably be surprised by, you know, oh, there's more, <laughs> there's more than just a cover. Uh, it's a whole theme. It's a thematic approach to how the music and, and the artwork integrate. And the the ones that, that you, you listen to for your whole life, like the, the imagery is forever married to it. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing because when you write music or you make art, like you don't probably aren't thinking I'm going, you know, what I'm going to make this look like or like, how is this going to pair with other media? Uh, it's just, it is the manifestation of collaboration, almost always. Because even if you're making the artwork yourself, you still have to, yeah, translate uh, a, a certain type of expression and and merge it with another. 
and that in itself when it when it when it works just right uh it's it's one of it's one of my favorite uh yeah like artistic collaborations in the whole world is pairing sound with vision and it's the possibilities are endless but when they stick it is totally magic the, there's people on the other end you know whether it's labels or artists and like we we know a lot of them you know especially after this long and so yeah. um like with tsb like some sometimes it's like you don't want to give up your critical faculties and you get a lot of the same shit regurgitated like the same tired you know mild praise that you get when everything's in that right. three point you know in that same sweet spot so i know there's a tension there's a tension there that we've tried to to be aware of you know i think all of us who could you know kind of do that and uh i don't miss writing the really well, I never was mean, but you know, I, I, I yeah, and I, I think like it's good to be sharp, but like I don't miss writing about stuff that I really didn't like, that I didn't think was yeah. good, that or that was a failure on its own terms somehow or whatever. I mean, I have enough time in my social life or at work <laughs> to berate people's bad music taste, and I'm I'm I am I am shameless in this. You know, from having worked over a decade in record stores, I'm like, yeah, I'm a music snob. Sorry. Like, don't play 311. <laughs> don't play Blink-182. You know, but but more so... What oh, I you would have hated 12-year-old me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure I could probably hate 12-year-old me as well. Um, well, that's but, like you were saying. Like, our, our music tastes shouldn't be the same as they were when we were 18, right? Like, you're doing something wrong if your tastes are, are the same as... Uh... Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's okay to, you know... I, yes, I still love Jimi Hendrix. Do I listen to him every day like I did when I was 19? No. I can't, you know? But also because you're, you know, you have to make time and space for other stuff and to explore. Yeah. Definitely. I, I mean, I... You know, life life gets hard sometimes, and in my case, I just couldn't devote my time to writing after a while. And uh, but Richard Allen, being the but being the uh, compassionate human being that he is, he still was like, "Hey, you know, at any point you you feel like doing it again, I'm just going to keep you on the email list and uh, keep you abreast of what uh, what we're coming across and what what's interesting to us and." Uh, yeah, you know, like, still want you involved in the community. So, you know, I enjoy reading his uh, his updates every week, and and finding and finding new gems uh, by his hand. And honestly, for anyone who doesn't, who isn't part of this writing staff, which is most everybody, but but Richard will when he sends us the little lists of like here's some highlights of uh, you know what was sent to me this week by artists from around the world. He will do a quick capsule synopsis, like a little, uh, like a dangling participle, or maybe a full sentence on. But it's usually like a little tagline for each record, and they are sometimes so hilarious. Uh, he is a he's a master of of making fun of things without insulting anybody. <laughs> it's just, he's like it ma it makes it for an enjoyable read. Even if I don't listen to any of these records, I feel like I know what what they are <laughs> what the hell's going on 
I don't know how he has time. I am, I am, I'd be shocked if he was a tweeter. Well, I mean, we, we've, we've, uh, we've outlasted quite a few web publications, haven't we? I mean, I, 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 and, and a lot of them have um, changed, had to change in, 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 I mean, probably shouldn't pick on a site as big as Pitchfork, but Pitchfork, I've noted, has changed considerably over the, the 10 years, and not just because I think they've been taken over by uh, Condé Nasties. They're, they're, and, and maybe they are more reflective of, uh, you know, the popular, um, the, you know, what people are buying or streaming nowadays. But what they, uh, I think, what they, they've sort of almost completely thrown away what they used to feature on, you know, which is which is quite an interesting thing because you go on to, it's like. Um, you know, picking up a magazine, and, and you know, there's five years between you. You don't recognise anything between the, the, the two publications, and I think that's um, quite an interesting development. But a lot of the mag, you know, a lot of the uh, the web pages or the zines or blogs or whatever that I used to look at, or a lot of the blogs have gone because they were you sort of driven by enthusiasm and that enthusiasm will only take you so far, unfortunately. Um, you know, you, you, you have you had a lot of MP3 websites saying, you know, this is the greatest song I've ever heard. And on Monday and by Friday, it was still the great, there was, there'd been five more greatest songs they've ever heard. And so that sort of thing, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think is sustainable. So uh, I think the sort of the little rules that we set for ourselves have been quite good in the fact that it's, it's been something that we've been able to stick to throughout and we haven't we haven't really changed who we cover at all i mean we will still cover people that we covered in the first uh first weeks of, of, of the site starting which i think is, is a good thing we haven't sort of we don't sort of ignore people from from the old days or anything like that but we're quite happy to take on board new artists as well and i think certainly um I guess we skew towards more female artists in certainly, you know, top 10s and top 20s in the last three or four years. But certainly, still, certainly I think it's been a sea change um, in terms of genders, in terms of producers and creators, which is, which is, which is definitely a good thing. We'll do a call for writers pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, actually, like, I didn't... I discovered the site like I don't know maybe a year ago or a little bit more so it's um I'd like only kind of recently gotten into like um I guess like a pretty specific like brand of like electronic music and um yeah and I guess I was just I was trying to remember like um exactly how I first discovered the site I don't remember exactly like my first time um like reading a review on it but um I was just like looking for new music in like a similar vein to what I'd been listening to and so I was researching like electronic music blogs honestly that's how and um but when I came across a closer listen I mean it, it really is different from a lot of other music sites out there and I was I was honestly like blown away by it when I first discovered it and like 
Um, I was, yeah, I mean, I discovered a lot of like great new artists that I have come to love from it. And it was just shortly after I discovered it, I was like reading back like the archives and it was just a couple or maybe like a month or two ago that um, there was a call for new writers. And I was like, oh, you know, um, I don't know. I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be great to be able to be a part of that, but. My name is Maya Merberg. Um, I'm currently living in Spain. I teach English as a second language. Um, I'm from New York, actually. So, um, but I've been here for about three years. I've reviewed a pretty broad variety of albums. I mean, I've only done like I don't know six, I think. But just within those, um, I've covered like a broader range of music than I like originally expected to you know I feel like what led me to a closer listen was this like pretty like narrow kind of brand of electronic music but since I've become like a bigger part of the site I've I've come to like yeah I don't know I've come to enjoy some albums that I maybe I didn't think I would so much that don't really fall into that genre it actually is another thing about our staff, and you've noticed um, we're hard to pigeonhole because you know, you kind of don't know what we're going to like because what we like one year we might not like as much the next year. And you know, there's times that I'm on ambient overload and I can't even hear another ambient album. You know, and then there's times that that's all I want to hear. And then sometimes the most experimental thing out there is exactly what I want to hear. And sometimes it rubs me the wrong way. And then sometimes it's a guilty pleasure that pops up there. Like, how in the world did that one get through? Well, because it's a guilty pleasure and it's awesome. And so saying something isn't in our wheelhouse, if it's not today, it might be tomorrow. And you never know when we might get a new writer. I mean, punk was like my first, the first genre that I was in love with as a teenager. And I guess a part of it was always reading the zines. And I think some people always complained that too much of the zine was reviews and they wanted more features and interviews. The review section was always my favorite, even if I was never going to listen to the album. I always like reading them, and I always like reading the hatchet jobs that you get in punk reviews. Um, I've never written a hatchet job, and I don't want to, but I love reading them. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, I used to write a little newsletter for the people in our neighborhood, 43 families. <laughs> I made on a Xerox machine and had all the news from all the neighbors and you know, who was born, who got a new job, who got a new dog, you know, followed by music reviews of whatever I was listening to that I enjoyed. So I, mean, I don't know if anyone really liked the music reviews, but they read it because they were reading about their neighbors first. So I guess, you know, it started early. Uh, my first real writing gig was for Industrial Nation magazine out of California. Uh, I listened to pretty much all industrial and gothic music then. and. Um, that really kept me going. It was a time when I'd had a tough relationship end and I just wanted music that didn't have any love songs in it. <laughs> and so for a few years, it was all the, you know, the, the rumble and crumble and all the, the robotic sounds and um, just great stuff. Just uh, energetic, kept me going. Clubs were amazing back then. Um, some of the New York City clubs, one was in an old church. The limelight. See everybody dressed up. Exactly. <laughs> Swinging from a trapeze. That wasn't me, but 
other people swinging copies in a church while listening to industrial music. There's nothing really more bizarre than that when you think about it. Some groups that have kept going, but they had a golden period. You know, Frontline Assembly, Front 242, uh, Mentallo and the Fixers, now down to one person, but he's still the most relevant as far as making music today. And back then there were a lot more samples, usually movie samples, uh, horror movies, sci-fi movie. Uh, a lot less today, more concentrating on the instrumental aspects of it. Um, there's so much power in that sort of music that it's become almost expected to hear it in futuristic movies, even today. Um, and it never broke through to the mainstream in terms of having a top 40 hit. Uh, you could argue that Nine Inch Nails was, was industrial, but it was right on the brink of industrial and, and crossing over. Um, and then of course went into soundtrack work. But those underground artists, like, uh, you know, you never saw Skinny Puppy in the top 10, 40, 100, probably 200. And yet you could argue that bands like that, um, the whole Wax Track stable had a huge influence on music that followed. And still today, if, uh, if you're writing industrial music and it's instrumental and it's powerful, I mean, we're going to want to hear it. Uh, I think actually it wasn't because there is the path that, you know, that perhaps was Rich's path from industrial music into into avant-garde music. For me, I think I, I listened to punk music for a number of years and then I listened to hip hop um, again when I was a teenager and, and still now. Um, and then I think that probably led me into electronic music. So, you know, listening to techno um, and you know, IDM as much as I hate the label. Um, I think that's what then led me into ambient music um, but I've always kind of been just, you know, I struggle to think of a genre that I don't like, really. So I think I always had that kind of um, scattered, that kind of scattered approach to the omnivorous approach, let's say, to different genres. But yeah, it was probably it was probably techno and electronic music that led me into ambient. For me, like hip hop was one of my gateways into electronic music. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm from New York, so I think it's also, I don't know, like. There's, there's more there's all those scenes going on and coexisting you know like yeah i was more into rock but i knew the def jack stuff and you know i think you and i have talked about this before particularly with hip-hop i'm beats first and then lyricism right yeah 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 same like if i don't if i don't like your beats i won't listen to your record sorry um again you know the instrumental thing is like we're we're, we're more interested in the the production right the music yeah the, which um and yeah you know we did the excellent beat mix together yeah so that yeah. was that was very much your uh your your you picked all those selections and uh it holds up man that's the thing so that's the thing about hip-hop is i feel like it gets left out of the a lot of the what we do because we don't do lyrics and you know Right. There's some beat scene manifestations in the music we cover, but... You know I used to be a rapper, right? Probably should have mentioned that earlier. Yeah, I was uh, performing um, down south all the way through grad school. It helped, helped me actually pay my bills while I was in grad school. In Atlanta, yes. I rapped at the, uh, I rapped at the in the 90s. 
um, wrapped at the opening of the Martin Luther King Center for Nonviolent Social Change. I like, I like my speech. I don't think they invented cameras back then. <laughs> oh, way before that. I started rapping when, uh, when it first started. You know, Sugar Hill Gang was there and Run DMC hadn't come out yet and I just jumped on it because I didn't think I could sing at that point. So let me try this. And it worked. It's such a creative time that uh, being in college, two new new genres developed at the same time, rap and new wave. And to be right there when both were developing, we were so overdue for a new musical genre. And you could say there's micro genres, but those were major. And of course, everybody said, you know, rap will just dial off in a couple of years. Look at it now. We maybe break dancing is not as popular now. Graffiti art is not as popular, but the hip hop industry went from being derided everywhere to being celebrated. Um, I'm generally a kind of obsessive seeker out of new music anyways. Um, so <laughs> <Of course. laughs> it, it was a good, it, it's a good place for that. And also a good place to find, it was a good place to find like thoughtful writing on smaller labels and on artists that I like truly never would have come across um, otherwise. Um, so yeah, so when y'all put out the call for writers, I it, it was interesting timing because I'm writing about sound um, and kind of experimental sound practices within the context of the museum and media art generally, um, and was really not, I mean, I guess struggling is the right word, but also trying very hard to push myself outside of my, I, my background is in visual arts. I wrote visual art criticism. I was an art historian. Um, so really trying to push myself outside of my comfort zone in terms of thinking about how to write about sound. Um, and also talking a lot with a, a friend and member of my dissertation committee who's a musicologist um, about, you know, anxieties around writing about sound and music as, as not a trained musician. And he, he, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, music needs more non-musicians writing about it. My name's Jennifer Smart. Um, I'm from Texas, um, but now based in Chicago. Um, I'm also finishing a PhD um, at Northwestern. I teach film. Before I came back to school, I was primarily working as a writer, um, doing a lot of arts criticism and interviews and features and profiles. Yeah, I find, I, I wasn't sure how I would feel about kind of uh, doing both at the same time, I guess. I also wasn't really sure how I would feel about academic writing um, when I came back to school, I guess. And I don't really enjoy it particularly. But I also, to your point, I think that that's, for me, it's been very important to, while I'm working, both both in terms of while I'm working on academic um, writing, both in terms of the um, kind of long, drawn out process that it involves, and also just the the more rigorous um, 
I guess, research involved, I find it really necessary to respond to art in a more immediate or like visceral way through like just kind of free writing. My most of my reviews for of music for something like A Closer Listen, but also a lot of the reviews that I write about art more generally comes from um, because I, I mean, not that I don't pull back and think later, but I, with academic writing, I get, I get really stuck, you know, in finding all of the, you know, doing all of the research, like finding all of the other people that have written about this and trying to piece all of these, you know, this academic puzzle piece together rather than just like responding to work in a more immediate way. Um, so I find it like really necessary to have, to do both at the same time, I guess, to have kind of a more public writing practice um, alongside the academic. I, again, as I don't know how many people who write for the site are musicians, I imagine a lot of you are, um, but as a non-musician um, and as someone who like for my critical practice, I feel very, what a central part of it is trying to find entry points into work that otherwise seems inaccessible. Um, contemporary art does experimental music has this problem too. Um, and I, see, I really see myself as a demystifier and I think kind of like finding the interdisciplinary connections um, can be, or is one of the a really helpful way to kind of go about doing criticism. Well, we say that, but then we, we, we review some things that are outside of everyone's wheelhouse. Like uh, Thing Music that I reviewed last year, just a person making uh, music out of things that were different colors. So there was a purple track and a blue track, and she was just going to find everything that she could that was that color and made music out of it. <laughs> Fair to say it's outside of everyone's wheelhouse, but I thought it was great. <laughs> Do we write negative reviews? And sometimes, you know, albums are worth really criticizing. Some albums are just not worth hearing. And we made that decision early on. We said, there's so much good music out there. For every album that we review and, and don't like and tell people, now oh, this album isn't very good, we've left out an album that is very good. So we just decided to, to focus on recommending the ones that were good um, because we like to feel positive and we like to encourage musicians. And not being reviewed doesn't mean that you're not good. In fact, <laughs> every week there are dozens of albums that are good enough to be reviewed and we just don't have the, the staff, the time and, and the space for it. And stuff on Bandcamp which, which you know, people may never discover because it'll just sit there. But we don't want to waste any of that space in being negative. We're, so we're first and foremost a positive site. We're also in partnership with other sites in that uh, we realize that it's a, a big industry and so many people on our site are musicians. Um, little piece of inside information, um, which is ironic. And Joe, you already know this. You know, I write about instrumental music and I'm, I'm the lead singer in the church band. <laughs> so it doesn't seem to make sense. but. We know the frustration of being in the industry. We know that, you know, we just want to get listeners. And, and sometimes we're making music because we love it and we're not getting any, any reward for it. So we want to offer each other support. And that's why we're still personally answering all of the emails that mention us by name, because we want to be in dialogue with people. And we want to just give that little nudge to say, keep doing what you're doing. Um, make it because you love music, but we're, we're always going to have our ears on it too. And, and we're glad that 
you're making music. I think those are the things that, that set us apart. But that's like been what I've loved most about writing for the site is like, yeah, I don't know, just, um, just discovering all this music that I really never would have and never would have like spent enough time with it to really appreciate it, you know? Yeah, exactly. You realize that you, the more you know, the more you, you realize you, you don't know, I suppose, or something like that. Something more articulate. You can edit that to make me sound articulate. <laughs> well, I mean, we could leave it there. I think that's that's great. Unless you have any other, you know, final thoughts or anything else you want to mention about uh, maybe the end of the year. It was your first time doing the end of the year list. Yeah, I mean, that was that was really cool. I guess like I I really had to. Well, I didn't have to, but I like when most of the albums that were. I mean, I like listened to a lot of music in a short period of time that. Um, you know, I hadn't listened to when it first came out or when the reviews were first written. So, <clears throat> so I mean, yeah, that was cool. That was honestly a lot of fun. I guess that like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Like the great thing about the site is just discovering all this music that um, I wouldn't like otherwise even, I mean, know about, you know, or naturally be drawn to, I guess. Looking back on last year, we missed one big one. It was never sent to us. We listed it uh, in upcoming releases, the Pharaoh Sanders album. Everybody loves this album. Everyone loves it. But uh, it didn't come in. I didn't actually hear it until Jeremy told me about it, and then it was too late. So, uh, you know, we don't catch everything. But other sites did. I noticed um, we matched up really well with Echoes and Dust as far as our post-rock picks. Um, Boomcat and Norman are completely different from each other, but it's great to see what they have. Uh, ours ended up being pretty unique, and and I like the eclecticism of it. There, there seems to be a completely widespread differences of what people, you know, people who are writing for different publications are all thinking something else is the best thing that they ever heard this year. And there's very little agreement on on anything at all because you know i always look to see well did anybody else think that the our albums of year were the best albums of year <laughs> it's like nope <laughs> but then again we didn't we didn't cover anything that anybody else featured so it's nice that we've we've got a little uh niche i guess but um in terms of you know what you know having it having an album that unifies everybody at the moment there, there doesn't seem to be you know such, such something like that there might be you know i think the floating points album was uh was probably the closest we got last year but there doesn't seem to be anything you know a single work that really brings everybody together at the moment that everybody can agree on is you know pretty good so it'll be interesting to see how these things develop i think you know in the next 10 years or something like that see see how things go Going through the upcoming releases and like going through the submissions for the site, like all this, all these like crazy experimental albums that I never could have like imagined existed, you know, just always discovering like, yeah, new ways of making music. And... Rad, yeah, we, um, I guess as people read us to discover stuff, but like we discover so much stuff just because so many people send us stuff every week that, uh, 
that's why we got into it, right? Just to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It really is. I think like when I first was like, like voted in as a writer, or whatever Rich said in an email, like, oh, like the like the greatest gift from this site, you know, is like all the new music you're going to discover, and it really is like it's just like truer than I could have expected, you know. It's not because like before, you know, I mean, everyone is like everyone who's into music is discovering new stuff all the time, and I'm like. I mean, I like, I feel like it's like a sin, but I'm like a heavy user of Spotify, you know? And like, mm -hmm. like the way they're like Discover Weekly and all their stuff, like I, so I am discovering new music all the time, but it's just different. I mean, I guess, cause it comes from on the, all these streaming services, like, you know, they are a way to discover music, but it's just different when it's coming from, from people, you know? I think probably the majority of our readers are musicians and label and industry people. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I'm not. I really don't know. I mean, that's who we hear from. You know. Sure. Yeah. More. So, what's the critic version of your favorite rapper's favorite rapper? Uh, <laughs> it's always MF Doom. <laughs> yeah. So if that's our lane for for uh, music blogs, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, word. Um, like I like to write because I don't like to do the other performative shit, you know? Same thing with music. It's like, make stuff, put it out there. It is what it is. And I think that also speaks to the ACL ethos too, right? It's like, um, we just, we're doing our thing. You know, it's not about the, the stats or the... Yeah, I mean, it's actually, like, that's one of the things that I do like about ACL. More so than like, you know, I was uh, writing, contributing and uh, chief editor for this sports site that has now basically folded. And the reason it folded is because it was it was focused on trying to compete. And it's like, you, you're not going to compete with ESPN. You just, nobody can compete with fucking Disney, right? Yeah. And so it's, that's what I like about ACL is that it's like, hey, we're just over here in, in our corner, just, you know, we're just a couple of, you know, Charlie Brown characters plunking on a piano and writing about it and whatever it is and just enjoying it, right? And that's, I think that's where when you have people that follow the site and it's because they know, they know that you're actually, you care about the craft. And a lot of the artists that we cover, I think it's the same can be said of them too, you know, like they're oh. just in their lane, you know, doing their thing. Yep. They're not chasing up Spotify ads or, or whatever. They're not trying to get on uh, Coachella. I think it's, I, I think it has a lot to do with the, you know, intentionality about of publishing one review a day um, of a different album, but the, that gives, and, and also the concentrated focus, I guess, on instrumental music, you know, gives room or, or leaves space for attention to a lot of artists and labels who wouldn't otherwise get this kind of attention. I, I liked, I guess I'll echo the other thing that you said about kind of the ethos of the side. I liked the, 
I, I don't, I mean, I mean casualness in a good way, but like kind of the casualness of it, both in terms of like from a staff perspective, but also I think um, just the feel of a lot of the way writers and the way that they're approaching um, it. There's also, there's a lot of variety in the approaches that people on the site take too, it seems like. Um, some of the writing, some of some people write with more of an attention to um, kind of the feeling or imagery of the album. Some are more, you know, concerned with, you know, getting more specific in terms of instrumentation um, and, and musical techniques and things like this. Um, but I like that there's space for kind of both um, so that it doesn't seem like a site for, I don't know, nerdy, too, doesn't seem too nerdy, I guess. And, um, not that nerdy isn't a good thing or can be a good thing, but um, it just, it, it felt very accessible even for me, like reading it before I thought I would be writing um, writing for it. Um, there was always, there's usually something in anyone's writing that I can kind of latch on to. That's one of the things about, about doing this for 10, 15 years is, uh... You could watch an artist like that, you know, grow and, and evolve and uh, build up an audience and just, you know, uh, and so seeing like, you know, this, this kid who made this amazing experimental mix of, you know, the t slowed down tales from old 78s and, and LPs, uh, you know, now on NPR and Men's Health Magazine, and, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily think that was the trajectory, but it's been great to watch. <laughs> Joe, are you interviewing yourself for this? No, but I think I will say something and uh, I'm also recording myself like I have this little microphone here if you can and usually I usually I, I don't like when I sit down with someone to do an interview I'll mic myself but if you've you know heard the podcast I'm almost never present so I'll be present in this one you know I'm not you're one of the founders yeah so what are you proud of about our site I mean we, we've reached 10 years well, you, you look back on a decade now, which sounds like it makes us a lot older than we actually are. What are your sound impressions? The thing that makes me proudest is when people I, I don't know shout us out and say like, you know, oh, you know, respected, uh, um, you know, web blog or music reviewers or whatever. and. Uh, I just, I always get so happy when I see people sharing what we do with other people because I know, and I, you know, obviously I know a lot of musicians and uh, I've, I've interviewed and sat down with, with many musicians around the world at this point and um, it, it's, it can be um, dispiriting and discouraging when you feel like you're making something from the heart and you put it out in the world and it just kind of meets the void, so I know for a fact that so many people have been heartened by the love and attention and care that we bring to, to listening and, and sharing the works that we, uh, we care about. And um, that, you know, that's so much more valuable to me than a, I don't know, pitchfork byline or, or whatever music 
reviewers uh, aspire to to achieve um and uh yeah just sticking with it for this long even you know the site before lasted almost six years so you know all in all we're you know more than a decade and a half of of writing and uh just seeing that you know you build up uh pe people notice and it's this slow organic growth but but that uh that expectation that people can count on us to, to give them a fair, caring listen, and when when so much else is just the void, I think that that's been our niche. You know, like uh, we're not chasing trends or industry forces, you know, market forces or anything. Um, there's very few places left that 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 do what we do.